the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The world is a complicated place. You need someone to expose the political fakers, fixers, and takers, and to cut through the mindless chatter and misdirection to help you make sense of it all. That person is Dan Proft, and this is the Dan Proft Show. Welcome back to the show. Earlier in the program, when we were talking with former Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker, we discussed uh, the op-ed in the Wall Street Journal from uh, Jason Riley on the performance of charter schools, both in New York City as well as nationally. And uh, Riley went on to address some of the specious arguments made by the teachers' unions and their acolytes in the direction of charter schools that turn out just not to be true. I want to continue that conversation with somebody who's an expert in this space as well and uh, has a long history of um, fighting the fight for education reform to the benefit of people who are not being afforded the opportunity to earn a quality education. He is Chris Stewart. He's the CEO of the education nonprofit Brightbeam. And he joins us now. Chris, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Hey, it's great to be with you. Uh, School choice programs are the white man's effort to defund public schools so that black and brown children can't get a quality education. (laughs) Yeah, that's one of many really effective and common arguments that are made against school choice. I would also say bizarre just because you have many people nationally who work in networks where they are funding efforts to create new schools, create new opportunities for kids in places where the schools have just failed them for generations. And there's not a lot of return on investment on that money, time, and effort of the people that create charter schools and um, spend their all their days thinking about how to get kids to college in places where they are just not getting to college. So it's a bizarre argument, but it works because, you know, teachers' unions, have foot soldiers. They have people on the ground who do hand-to-hand combat. Teachers are very trusted in their communities. They're speaking directly with parents, and they're saying, you know, those evil guys over there, they're attempting to get you an education. Exactly. Right. They want you to go to the same school that they went to. You know, that millionaire, he wants you to go to the same school that his kids are going to. You see how racist that is? I, I, I just, yeah. the, the logic escapes me. It's terrible logic, but it works in a lot of places because, I mean, as Americans, we are inherently, I think, in some ways distrustful of big efforts, big government, big tech. So it works just to say, hey, I'm your neighborhood teacher. I'm the person who's been teaching you for for a long time. You know you can trust me. And I'm telling you that they're trying to destroy public education. The unfortunate thing about that argument and that way of engaging with the community is that we don't have time for that. We have generations and generations of human potential that's being lost in places year after year, you know, in cities are without great schools in some places. And that's a shame. But but do you see, I mean, you know, it's not going as fast as I would like, as a lot of people would like, as I'm sure you would like in terms of educational choice. But do you see the teachers unions as the proverbial little Dutch boy with their uh, collective finger in the dike that it's happening the logic of their arguments is increasingly untenable. Uh, more and more parents are, you know, just by seeing the experience of their friends and neighbors and so forth, are uh, seeing the lie of what is being fed them and are interested in pursuing opportunities for their kids, whether through a charter or through a scholarship program. 
I mean, isn't it just, is it sort of, a, I, I have a sense of urgency and we should have a sense of urgency, but isn't really just a matter of time? Haven't they already lost the argument? They just haven't conceded defeat? You know, I, I would like to think that you're right. You know, I would love to say yes, but they are a formidable opponent. They are winning in places where they should not be winning. Mm. They have politicians and people who write legislation at, at the state level who are worried that they won't win their seat again if they write the wrong piece of school choice legislation, for instance. We do see things passing in some places, especially with the pandemic. There's more appetite, I think, in the public for parents having more power over how they get to say, you know, for instance, how the per pupil income works for their students. But it's not enough to make me hopeful knowing, just knowing how political and how big the war chest is for teachers unions and how many politicians owe their seats to the teachers unions because they have entire yeah. cities on lock. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I live in one in Chicago, but but uh, although the, there are charter schools and there is a tax credit scholarship program, but it's certainly not on the scale that is required uh, to lift people out of uh, terrible schools. No question. But uh, how do they in your, your estimation, you, your perspective on this? How do they marginalize leadership from minority families, uh, the experience of minority families? I mean, when you're talking about hundreds of thousands in places like Florida or Arizona, when you're talking about high profile individuals like Virginia Walden Ford in, in Washington, D.C. with the D.C. Scholarship Program, have they just effectively characterized them as sort of like the anomalous or token black Republican or something? And they're not to be dismissed or they're to be dismissed. They're not to be taken seriously. No, they absolutely trivialize, personalize, marginalize any people within neighborhoods. I mean, look, the best marketing for them is that they're down with people. They're in the hood and, you know, they're organizing people. But what they're doing is curating people over long periods of time. They're forming yeah. long-term relationships with people. They're getting them onto school boards and then onto state as state rep, you know, and they're saying, hey, remember, we were the, the ones there for you from the very get-go. So they're selective about who they work with at the grassroots. And listen, you're in Chicago. I mean, it's a perfect place where you see that, that Chicago exports teacher unionism strategies and tactics to other cities, to other places. So you guys kind of are the ground zero for their tactics. It feels like they're starting to lose some ground there, like the mayor and others are starting to stand up just a little bit to them. But at the end of the day, they still are very good at making their agenda sound like the agenda of the poor. Um, we're fighting for your schools. I, I saw the dumbest thing from your city. It was They said that the attempt to reopen schools was rooted in sexism and racism and white supremacy. Right. Everything is. The attempt to open the schools. Now, get your mind around that. Did right. you ever think in your lifetime you would see a time where keeping public schools open was seen by the teachers union as a as racist? Well, that's unsafe, so they say, and, and therefore we're trying to harm black kids and black families. That's that's what we are doing. You know, the, the we who are not in charge of the system in any way. <laughs> I mean, it's right. a black right. mayor, black Cook County Board president, black prosecutor, and so on and so forth. The, you know, the city council, there's not a Republican in office, you know, uh, in the northern northeastern part of the state, basically. But somehow, you know, white supremacy is uh, rearing its ugly head with respect to CPS operating. I mean, but it, it doesn't matter, it seems to me how in how absurd their contentions are if they play the race card they get their way yeah you know and this is to your earlier question about whether things are starting to shift a little bit i think things like the pandemic are getting to be such a pain such a point uh pain and point for parents that they're not gonna they're not gonna be um they're not gonna be patient forever 
with the teachers union around these type of things. There are literally family, families that are losing everything because they don't they can't put their kids in school. Um, and there are states that are attempting to get resources to those families in the form of vouchers and in the form of um, education savings accounts and other ways for them to be able to have the, the education dollars necessary. And I don't think that parents are going to put up with forever teachers unions blocking vouchers, blocking charter schools, blocking educational opportunity, and wanting to keep the schools closed at the same time. So uh, what, what do those who are interested in supporting the school choice movement uh, do in addition to contributing to tax credit scholarship funds that have been set up and supporting legislation at the state level? At the, at the city level, where the situation is the most pronounced, it seems to me like what you're saying is we need sort of neighborhood infrastructure. We need people on the ground that have credibility in the neighborhoods uh, telling an alternative story, addressing the arguments that are being made and uh, straight away so that people understand what the what the real issues are and what the real opportunities are. I think we absolutely need people to start speaking um, honestly with their friends, their neighbors, their churches, their pastors. Um, to get people who have social capital and intellectual capital to start standing out front. Uh, I do want to, again, say pastors, clergy, other people that are, you know, that have uh, respect in your communities. I don't care what your social location is, what your race is, what your background, anyone listening to this and hearing this right now, I don't ever want anyone to think, well, I'm to this or I'm to that to be able to speak out on these issues. This is, this is really about, uh, every kid in America getting um, a first world education, which is possible, and us not providing it right now. So that's a moral failure on our part. Shame on us if we say nothing about it. Um, and the things that we should really be saying should be plain. We should speak very plain. We should speak about um, we should be funding families, not funding systems, especially systems that have done them harm forever. We should be um, making sure that that every parent has um, pathways to opportunity, educational opportunity, because right now we have many parents that are redlined into really uh, terrible educational options. And we have to break that down. We, we have to get rid of the boundaries, the lines, the rules, the, the enrollment procedures. All that has to take second, you know, second seat to are we getting every kid and every family the resources they need to make good decisions and to have good choices in education? Chris Stewart, CEO of the education nonprofit Brightbeam. Chris, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. And thank you so much. Appreciate it. Take care. This portion is sponsored by the American Federation for Children, the nation's largest school choice advocacy organization, helping every family choose the best K-12 education for their children. Find them on social media at School Choice Now. That's at School Choice Now. Sharpen your pencils. Class is in session with Professor Dan Proft and the Dan Proft Show.